Welcome to This Is Not About Your Body, where we talk about all the real shit body image issues are actually about because they're never just about the way you look. I'm your host, Jesse Nealand, and today I have with me Rennie Dieball, who is the author of the kids' book, B is for Bellies. Um, it is a joyous picture book celebrating everybody from A to Z. And I actually have a copy of her book and it's so sweet and lovely, all about planting the seeds of body acceptance and self-love young. It's really, really great. And the beautiful art represents all kinds of different diverse bodies and it's just awesome. So I'm excited to have you on here today. Welcome, Rennie. Thank you so much. Excited to be here. Yeah. And, and we can talk about this later, but uh, the day that this uh, podcast episode is airing is your publication date. Yes. Big day. <laughs> um, okay. So before we dive into your book, I want to ask you just a little bit about your own story. Like what yes. has your own body image journey been like, and what led you to care so much about body acceptance that you ended up writing a kid's book about it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I have a similar story to a lot of people who grew up steeped in diet culture. Um, I, from the time I was 12, was dissatisfied with the way I looked probably sooner than that. Actually, a kid yeah. told me when I was six years old at the pool that I had fat thighs. Oddly enough, oh. I did not. I, I was like a string bean as a child. Right. Um, but I have realized through therapy that <laughs> that comment stuck yeah. from six to 43. Mm. Um, so that was a, that was a key inspiration for the book, but I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll yeah. get to that. Um, but I would say I started dieting at 12, really bought into the idea that I could change my body to make it look the way I wanted. And I did over and over from 12 until my late thirties. Um, I would say disordered eating for sure. I have photos of myself um, in college that make me so sad to look at now because I'm sitting at my desk, I'm with my friends, we've got the, you know, the Boone's farm. And I had made this sign on my bulletin board that said, think thin in huge letters. And it was like Ooh. such a big deal to me not to come home from college having gained the freshman 15. And yeah. it's like, you think about the big life moments and how punctuated they were by body image issues. I mean, I yeah. think back to my wedding and the frankly starving myself that I did to be as small as humanly possible. Yeah. And I look back on it and it's just like, why? Like, why, why did I think I needed to look that way? But at the time it yeah. was the most important thing. And so things changed for me when I had an injury actually. Um, it was in my late thirties and laid up I needed stuff to read. And I discovered, I don't know if I can, can I curse on your podcast? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> I discovered the book, The Fuck It Diet. And it opened my eyes to this idea that what we do with the restricting is we're putting our body into a famine. And it was, it just, it blew the whole thing open for me, what I'd been doing for 30 years and how unhappy my body was, was with me for doing it. Yeah. And I have two young daughters. They were even obviously even younger at the time. And I read that book and then I read health at every size. And then I signed up for newsletters like yours mm -hmm. and just threw myself into it all and went, Oh, there's a better way. I'm not doing a good thing for my body by trying to be smaller. And in fact, here are the reasons why I've wanted to be smaller. And why am I buying into that? You know, why am I buying into this system where people, I think women especially, should be smaller. There should be less of yeah. us. So I bought in in a big, big way. And then 
you know, having daughters, I always really prioritized if I talked about them being beautiful or other people did, I would always add, and that's great, but you are smart, you are strong, you are brave. And I would, you know, flood them with those adjectives that meant more to me. And I also really made it a point to keep my own body image struggles to myself. I didn't want them to hear me talking to anybody about not liking the way I looked or wanting to be smaller or the body checking in the mirror. And it's hard. I mean, it's, it's still a struggle. It's always a struggle. I was just at the pool with them yesterday and I was not happy about walking from one side of the pool to the other in my bathing suit without a cover up. But I think it's so important that they learn and that all kids learn how much more we are than our bodies. Um, And for this book, Be Is For Bellies, kind of the culminating inspiration was uh, on a grocery store shopping trip with my older daughter. She was seven at the time. And we were walking down the cereal aisle and this great song came on, which happens when you're over 40 in the grocery store, (laughs) you know and love the music. And I started dancing because, you know, you turn 40 and you're just not self-conscious anymore. And my daughter went mommy with these big eyes. And I thought, oh, this is so, what's that? How old is she? She's seven. Okay. And I thought, this is hilarious. I'm embarrassing her for the first time. But it wasn't what I thought. It had nothing to do with my dancing. The big eyes, she goes, mommy, something is jiggling. And my knee-jerk reaction was like, oh shit, like what what part of me? Right, right. But then I was like, wait a second, you're in second grade. And I know that I work really hard for you to not think that a body jiggling is a bad thing. Right. So where did you pick that up? And so then I dove into the research. I've been a reporter and a writer my whole life. So I do a lot of research. And it turns out that as young as preschool, kids are learning that thin is good and fat is bad. So no matter what I'm doing with them at home, they are picking up this messaging. And so I wrote down in my phone, J is for jiggle, bodies bounce when they move. And I put it aside. And in the weeks and months to come, I was like, so jiggling is okay. Like what else is okay? What else Mm. do we need kids to know sooner than they do? Because by the time we talk about this, it's far too late. We already have issues. Somebody already told us at the pool in first grade that our thighs Uh were fat. Um, So it became a whole alphabet and then a book deal and now a book. And I'm so excited to get it out there in the world to kids beyond just my kids. (laughs) Um, You mentioned the jiggle story. I I was in the car recently. I was like going on a a hike. So I was like squished between my niece and nephew who are six and eight in the back Mm -hmm. seats, like between their car seats. It was a a chaotic ride, but, um, <laughs> I was wearing shorts. And so, uh, the kids sort of were like all over me, you know, they had their hands on my legs and whatever. Yeah. And at one point, I don't even remember which one of them said it, but, uh, one of them said, your legs are like jello because they were jiggling. Right. And I was like, Ooh, teaching moment, you know? So I was <laughs> right. like immediately going into like, like, yeah, that's, you know, I, I don't even remember what I said, but I just tried to be like, like, hell yeah, they are, you know, that's awesome. right. Right. And, yeah. and then my bodies nephew, do that. Yeah. Bodies do that. <laughs> and my nephew who has, uh, he's just very, he, he's just shot up recently, you know? So he's like very, very, uh, skinny lean, whatever. Yeah. Um, he was like, cause I, I, me and my niece were like, look, our, our thighs do it. Yeah, and yeah. he was starting to like feel bad and like, he wasn't included. Left so he's like out. reaching for things. 
because I, I can do this thing where if I like, um, especially with my belly, I showed them if I like do the right kind of jiggle, it's just uh-huh. like perfect jello top. So I'm like <laughs> doing it to her and to me. And he's like trying to find a little spot. And I was like, this is right. a wonderful, like turning it on its head that he's like, oh, I want to jiggle with you guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. My, um, my younger one just recently, I don't remember what, it, I think we had s'mores or something and she felt very full physically and she was like, mommy. Oh. And she lifts up her shirt. She goes, look how big my belly is like full of pride. And I was like, this is a better six-year-old experience than the one I had. So maybe it's working. (laughs) Oh, well, I love that. Um, so part of your body image journey was the educational component, which I think is true for so many people, because basically like when you're in diet culture, you do think you're doing something good for yourself. I mean, that's how it's pitched to us is like self-care to try to lose weight. Also the sign think thin, I swear. I think I had one very similar. Like I like did a little, like, I think I made one that said that was that from something or just like maybe in the cultural it, I guess I thought I needed the visual reminder, you uh-huh. know, like lest I snack at my desk or something terrible uh-huh. like that. But oh yeah, it gosh. must have been in the culture. Okay. So speaking of the culture, I know you used to write for people magazine, people.com. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so I will shamefully admit right now that this was one of my favorite magazines growing up. My mom worked really hard to keep me from reading women's magazines. Uh, she was very opposed to the whole thing, which made me love them so much, of course. Of course. Um, and it's so ridiculous to look back on now because, I mean, basically what people was, was just dissecting celebrities' bodies to like feel... Yeah figure out how you should feel about yourself. Exactly. Um, so I feel like that must've been really interesting to be inside the beast. And I'm curious what yeah. it was like to work there and, and be steeped in that culture. Yeah. Yeah. I think that um, it certainly exacerbated everything I had going on anyway. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, once a year we did a half their size issue filled with diet tips. Uh-huh. And I mean, it wasn't just limited to that one special issue. It right. absolutely the study of celebrity bodies changing celebrity bodies. I remember the, the Jessica Simpson coverage specifically, you know, when she had a couple of unflattering photos taken and it was national news. And to be honest with you at the time, it didn't strike me as ludicrous the way it does now, you know, it was was just what we did. It was what we read. It was what we watched. Um, I do think for what it's worth that people as a brand has gotten better about that. That's good. I think media in general, it's a little too little too late. And I think it's changing too slowly, but, you know, interviewing celebrities and being on red carpets and really just looking at these photos day in and day out, I think burned it into my brain in a way that maybe somebody who doesn't work at people magazine, it wouldn't have had quite that effect. I, am embarrassed to say that one of my last people.com stories before I left the company was, it was a diet disguised as a lifestyle, you know, as Uh many are cutting out, what was it? Gluten, sugar, caffeine, you know, everything that brings you joy. (laughs) And I did it and I documented it for, you know, the website. Uh I lost 10 pounds and I had my very proud, you know, pre and post picture. And I look back on it now. It's so cringeworthy, but it just goes to show like how sneaky the culture is and how it adapts. 
right? I mean, I think I write somewhere in this story about how it wasn't a diet, it was a lifestyle. And, you know, fast forward a few weeks past the diet, the only thing I kept is that I don't put sugar in my coffee, but only (laughs) because I like the taste of coffee. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, like back on the gluten, back on the sugar, and probably like I'm going to live a full life. And if the way I want to look, or I've been conditioned to think I want to look, means the kind of restriction I did for so many years of my life. It's not worth it. Yeah. And the fact that they go hand in hand, like here are diet tips. And also here's a zoomed in picture of someone's cellulite. Like mm-hmm. it, it didn't even try to mask the fact that you were not right. losing weight to be healthy. You were losing weight to objectify yourself Yep. more <laughs> or like, yeah, you know, yeah. it was so transparently like everyone should be striving to be perfect, to meet these beauty and body ideals. And in fact, the people who basically meet them perfectly, you know, like even they are failing here, let's show you. I mean, it was so (laughs) obviously linked. Unlike some magazines, I feel like, you know, there was like prevention and health who who sort of tried to make it about something else. Right, right. And I remember the the moral failing too, Mm. as far as certain foods go. Like I lived in Manhattan for 12 years and probably once a month, maybe a little bit more, I would walk from my apartment on 79th street to 83rd street to McDonald's, but I always did it with a big bag because I literally couldn't walk four blocks home with a bag of McDonald's showing the world that I had given up, you know, or that I was cheating or what, you know, whatever it was the way I thought about it. And I would, so I'd put the McDonald's in the big bag, barely make it up my, you know, elevator to my apartment to then binge on McDonald's because I denied myself anything I wanted to eat, you know, 25 days out of the month. Right. So, you know, thinking back on that, it's just like, what a waste, you know? Wow. Yeah. So speaking of waste, um, I am curious to hear as you look back on this experience now, not just working there doing these things, but like the whole 30 years that you were wrapped up in diet culture, Um, And I'm assuming sort of wrapped up in like the sort of perfectionism and hierarchy of, of the whole thing. Like, what is your take now? What do you feel about all of that? I think it was something very difficult, if not impossible to escape at the time. Uh Um, But I just read or heard something. And if it's from your newsletter, there we go. (laughs) (laughs) It was like, I can't place where I heard it. But it was about the goal can't be to make a systemic change. I can't say I wrote this book. I'm planting this seed with kids early and we're not going to have body image issues anymore. It's not that. It has to be a change that you make for yourself. You show other people. And maybe if enough of us do that, it will seep into the culture and change will slowly come. Yeah. So I think it's easy to look back on all that time and feel silly or stupid for doing that, but I choose to give myself grace instead and say I was in a whirlwind of it. I mean, so yeah. many of us were or are, um, and I, I I can't remember who said this either, forgive me, but something about your calling being the thing that you just can't stop thinking about. So mm-hmm. from 2018, 2019, when I first started reading those books, I just can't stop. I couldn't stop thinking about it. You know, what am I going to do with this? How am I going to put this out into the world somehow? Um, And I just feel so good that through my work in this book and and beyond and the work I do as an author, 
I put it out there in as many ways as I can yeah, and as yeah. often as my as I can because if it if it connects with one person, especially a child, yeah. teenager, um, you know, bit by bit, I think this can change. I think it's going to be slow yeah. going. I don't think it's ever going to be what we want it to be, but it feels good to be part of the change. Yeah, I get that. I would also reframe not not that the goal isn't collective change, but that collective change happens in individuals like the more of us yeah that there I do think there can get to a sort of tipping point if enough of us do this individual work in Mm -hmm. our in our worlds and enough of us put out this kind of uh work and content that it can create a tipping point I think we're like just starting to to swell up as a movement around this which is great um but also it's interesting what you said about the calling thing because if you put it that way uh, my calling for many of my younger years was like to be hot. If we're defining oh. it by the thing you can't oh, stop thinking me about. Too. Right. And now it's to teach everyone <laughs> that they don't have to be hot to have value. Like, yeah, it's so interesting. And, and both of us went through that, like almost 180 swing. Yeah. I think that I, I couldn't have said it better. That, that was my calling for many, yeah, for many years as well. And, you know, that actually inspired the next book that I have coming out, um, because I want to help kids untangle worthiness and appearance. Yeah. Um, so I have a, a book coming out to that end because I think mm. that part of the reason why we spent all those years with our calling being to be hot is because from a very young age, especially those assigned female at birth, are taught, are not taught, but are people make comments and and give compliments yeah about appearance and so it it's next to impossible i think for a child to be able to untangle oh that's not the most important thing about yeah. you or that's not what makes me amazing so yeah. it but it becomes part of your personality and it becomes part of what what drives you and who you want to yeah. be and that isn't who you want to be it's how you look and those are two yeah. different things and to for it to take so long and decades to get to that point is that yeah. silly. <laughs> totally. And I always say like people, I'm I'm big on not making comments of any kind on people's appearance. And whenever right. people right. ask like, okay, well, what if I want to give a compliment or what if whatever? Mm-hmm. I always say like, if we lived in a world where it wasn't imbalanced, there wouldn't right. be anything wrong with it. But the exactly. issue is like, if we lived in a world where everyone obsessed over your ability to do math, then maybe we'd be having a conversation about how to stop talking about that, you know, because it's when you attach your worth and identity and the feeling of like belonging and being respected Mm -hmm. in your community Mm -hmm. to one thing. And, and in particular, one thing that like is not innate about you. Yes. And is is ever changing too. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, isn't everything, but yeah, definitely with the body and and all of that. Yeah. Also the, um, gosh, the, the idea that like we're creating content in this way to push back against the sort of mainstream Mm -hmm. idea around like, you know, the, the fat phobia, the weight stigma, the objectification, all of these things. Um, I do feel like because we are wired to be communal 
animals. Like that's what we are. Yeah. And so much of our body image stuff comes down to a feeling that our community, our wider community, which includes like media and everything and the people in our actual lives, um, we believe they believe that we should be smaller and that our value comes from our worth and all that stuff. Yeah. So books, I think are a really beautiful way of like putting a new voice in someone's head. Mm -hmm. And there is so much power, like you reading The Fuck It Diet and Health at Every Size. It was the same for me. Like before I had people in my actual life who believed those things, Mm -hmm. I had authors who wrote books who believed those things. Exactly. And they started to build out my sense of a new community, which we need in order to shift our beliefs and our our sense of self. Absolutely. You don't realize it exists sometimes until you read about it. And I would tell my friends about this book and these books and they were like, what are you talking about? Yeah. You know, calories in, calories out. But then- you know, expanding my search to the online communities and other other fans of these authors, you're right. You do find the community in it. And yeah. then the way we live our lives now is something to be celebrated. Yeah. So I love that you're writing a book about worthiness next. Mm. I can't wait to read that one. Yeah. Um, you do include in this book, Be Is For Bellies, you do have some stuff that feels really like linked to that, that I particularly loved and didn't necessarily expect. Hmm. So I just wanted to say like, I also, I mean, what is it? W is for? For worth, which all bodies possess regardless of looks or the way that we dress. Yeah. And there's also other things about like your, your inner self. Like, I just feel like you, you did a really great job of tying it to that, even though that's not like the central idea of the book. Right. Right. Thank you. And that's so important. And yeah, I just love that. Yeah. Yeah. As, as odd as it might sound, I remember being read to as a child and having my favorite books and having certain phrases Maybe this is because I was always a writer, but I would repeat those phrases to myself over and over. And it wasn't books with a message. It was just like rhymes that I liked. And so in a way, I was joking with a girlfriend of mine about this book. Maybe it's like the right kind of brainwashing. Like maybe if a kid says to themselves, you you know, B is for bellies and and it's not about, it's not about the size and it's not about what what your stomach looks like. I mean, like maybe it sinks in that way. Yes. Also, I read this really fascinating book once on um, basically brainwashing, like how it works and how uh, different aspects of our culture sort of uh, capitalize on or exploit the same kind of psychology and linguistics of like actual cults who do actual brainwashing. And when I finished the book, I was like obsessed with the idea of like, how do I start a body neutral cult? Like, how do I use all of the psychology of brainwashing to get people to go the other direction? And I kept talking about it and everyone was like, we hear like the idea makes sense, but you can't, (laughs) you can't. I was like, I know, but I want to. Exactly. <laughs> um, okay. So I know that you've done a lot of competitive equestrianarianism. Oh, that was not it. <laughs> I even okay. practiced well, I like saying that. this word out loud when I wrote this question, <laughs> but I didn't get it right. Um, and I know you write in the space of yeah. books and media about that as well. So could you talk a little bit about the impact that that world has on body yeah. image? Yeah, absolutely. I um, So I'm a competitive equestrian, though I loved your version there you of go. it as well. Thank you. <laughs> um, I started riding when I was 12. I think some kids are just born with the horse bug. I mean, that's where it all starts is we all just love horses. You know, it's mm. not about the competing. It's not about getting to go to a horse show. We just love horses and we never outgrow it. Um, so I started when I was 12, rode all through college, took a break when I lived in New York and worked for people for all those years because- Manhattan and horses and limited salary. It's just sure. not, not possible. 
Um, and now I'm the managing editor of the Plaid Horse magazine. And the way I got started in that, interestingly enough, was um, a blog post that I did for them about riders and body image and the, the mm. look is what they call it. Yeah, I think, and many of us in the sport think that the equestrian world is one of the last places that body shaming can thrive. Being as small as possible and as thin as possible on a horse is the look. So mm. my first foray into this horse world media was an experience that I had that bothered me, but it, for me, but it bothered me more um, for the young people in the sport. You know, there's so many young people who ride. I went to try on a new competition jacket. You know, the the outfit for riding is very specific. It's, you know, in, I do the hunter jumper. So it's tan breeches, tall black boots, and a show coat for, for competing. And so I tried on a show coat in um, a tax store in my area, and I wasn't sure if it was long enough. And I asked a woman working there if she thought it was the right length. And instead of a yes or no answer, she launched into how curvy I was mm. and that I had a butt and then I had boobs and that, you know, I needed more length to cover all of that. Uh, you know, so it was like <laughs> verbal assault. Like, why are we talking about how I, you know, about my body in this coat? I just wanted to know yeah. if it was long enough. Didn't buy the coat because I couldn't support the body shaming. <laughs> you know, took, Ooh, the, yeah. took the money elsewhere. And, you know, it stung for a, a day, a half a day. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, all right, I'm a grown woman who can, can deal with this. This is not important. This is not a, this is not a big deal. But to a kid who's in a sport yeah. where the way your body looks is so important, and this is not the only sport where that's true, a comment like that, I mean, it, it could just undo a kid yeah. completely. And I have been at events where retailers are present and they're fitting people. And I've heard a retailer say to children, well, you probably want a four button coat rather than a three button if you're a little fuller around the middle, because, mm -hmm. you know, like we need to disguise that in the saddle. So when you're indoctrinated as an equestrian, yeah. when you want to start competing, the way you look in the saddle is it's paramount. Yeah. And and could you, you explain are, why that is? Like, are you actually being judged on like aesthetic? The aesthetics. So yeah, you can be. One okay. of the disciplines that's popular, particularly for kids and, and teenagers up to age 18 is the equitation division. In that division, it is the rider's form, not body form, but form in the saddle, uh -huh. the function that's being judged. It's the rider, not the horse. So there's a, there's a picture, okay. there's a pretty picture yeah. in this sport that is rooted in tradition and rooted in quite frankly, outdated beliefs yeah. that you need to look a certain way to score. Well, that has changed for the better. There are plenty of larger riders who do well. There didn't used to be. Hmm. It's changing slowly, kind of like media. Um, but even outside of the equitation, which is specifically where the rider is judged, even in the hunters, which is when it's the horse being judged, it's the form over the jumps, it's the way they cover the ground, it's the style, all of that stuff. There's still something called suitability, meaning how the horse and rider fit together. Mm. So in one way, this is totally kosher. So like in a pony division, if you've got a tall teenager on a smaller pony, it doesn't look quite right. The balance is off, quite frankly, like from a sport perspective, uh -huh. that's not the best fit. So that, you know, it's a subjective sport. So they'll get points taken off for that. Okay. But 
eat for adults, for teenagers, for whoever. If you are a larger person on a horse, depending on who the judge is, you can absolutely be penalized for it because it's wow. not the pretty picture. Even okay. though that's technically not what it's about, that's why it still thrives in the sport. Mm. And you've mentioned that because this world is so privileged, so, I mean, it's expensive, right? It's so Absolutely. white. It's yes. so sort of fat phobic in this way that like mm -hmm. there's issues with sizing and all of these things. Right. Um, I, I get the picture in my head of like maybe gymnastics or ice skating or something like that, as far mm -hmm. as being, you know, kind of like the cumulative effect of growing up in this world or this sport on yes. body image. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I had a, I think that sign in my college dorm room was specifically because I had a trainer tell me, if you come back and you gain the freshman 15, you, you're not coming back. Like oh. you can't come back to the barn and ride these horses. And certainly there might be a time if a horse is very small and a person yeah, yeah. is larger, that it's a mismatch. And but that's interesting them, to think about because there actually is this other real component, which there, is not putting stress sure. on an animal, but like for sure also, there's a real yeah, yeah. component, but I would say the vast, vast majority of the time, it is not that kind of issue. Sure. I mean, the horses in the show ring now that like the breeding and the look that are winning are 1500 pounds. Mm. So even if you have a 200 pound woman on a big horse like that, it yeah. is not a stress on the horse that could be, you know taxing or harmful or sure, sure certainly some instances but I think that riders in the sport who are bigger are so afraid of this are so afraid mm -hmm. of being judged this way that they are especially careful to be properly mounted and to have yeah. that that suitability um so yeah you're right it's interesting that it's rooted in something real yeah but it's but it's fat phobia and yeah. it's and it's really nothing more than that because I think you're right. It, it, it's because it's not a diverse sport. We're working yeah, on it, yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. not, it's not a, a diverse sport. A lot of the top people in the sport are older, white, rich folks yeah. who can do it, that who've always done it their way and who can continue to do it their way, which brings me to the work I do on this magazine. Yeah. We try really hard to just show a different, paint a different picture for people Every month we do an inclusion story. Lately, it's been retailers who mm. have sizing all the way up to size, you awesome. know, 22, 24, where most mm. brands stop at a 12. Um, Even 22, 24 is like not that high. Right, right. But in the equestrian world, oh my God, it's a big change for the better. Yeah. Um, and we oh. do the same with, with race and with ability. Yeah. You know, we want to show everybody who ride, you know, one of the sayings we have at the plaid horse is everybody that rides is a good body. And that is just not something that a lot of people believe. Yeah. So we're really kind of pushing up against the norm. Ooh, I love but that. It, yeah. But it, I mean, it's, it's valuable work. And when, when I have a kid come up to me at a book signing, I do uh, horse books through the plaid horse and tell me how much a story in the book meant to them, or the fact that we have a main character in one of the books, who's a black girl, and to have these kids be like, I, I've never seen myself in a horse book before. Whoa, I, yeah. I just, just, it's huge. It feels like you're doing something right. Yeah. Okay. So this is a weird question because I don't know that I ever like met a horse until adulthood. So I, I mm -hmm. didn't have a shot at this like childhood horse love. Yeah. Um, do you think you could explain what the love is? Because 
I do feel like it's one of those things where people either are obsessed for an entire lifetime or they never get it. Do you know what it is? I think, I think there's something magical about horses. It it sounds so cheesy, but horses give you wings. You get on a horse and you can do things that as a human being, you could never do. I mean, galloping through a field or jumping big fences. It feels like you're flying, quite frankly. Like, I don't know that it's any, you know, more than that. That's the magic of the riding, I think. Yeah, yeah. But like just, you know, small child, big horse. I I think there's something magical about them. And I think that, I think that when you look a horse in the eye, you can tell that they understand something about you. Hmm. I don't think it's that different from dogs. I think that if you're sad and you're spending time with a horse, I think they know. And I think Hmm. that they behave toward you just like a dog in a certain way um and I think when you're happy they're happy and it's it's like having a best friend that doesn't talk back (laughs) so the reason I ask is because when I finally did get on a horse my first time was like in my mid-20s and I got to ride through like uh Montana mountains on just like Mm. a little you know uh walkabout I thought it was magical I thought it was amazing but I think because of where I was at in the fitness world at the time, Mm. like what I kept obsessing over was like its musculature, its power, Mm. the fact that I was allowed to participate in this activity with someone so strong and big Mm. and powerful. And so there's like a question in my mind around body appreciation, body image, body something with our, Mm. our love of like this big, powerful. Yeah. Creature. I don't know. I, I'm not sure exactly what the question is, but I just wondered if there was, yeah. if you had any insights on it. No, that's really interesting. I mean, one thing that I feel like I've written or, or I've certainly heard is that number one, horses don't care what you look like. And that's, <laughs> sure. and that's very freeing. Yeah. Um, but for sure, I, I think that, I think that we all, regardless of if we're in like the fitness world or not, I think we all do want to appreciate strength, whatever the size might be. So whether you're riding a pony or a big draft horse that is, you know, this, this wide around in the back, there's something to appreciate there. And, you know, the horses can't control how they look, right? They get, you know, fed by humans and they're going to look how they're going to look. And it's sort of, maybe it taps into what we know to be true. We've just been conditioned so hard. Otherwise I look like I'm going to look largely from genetics. I can't really change it. I'm freaking strong. And that's great. And if my strength means my butt and thighs look bigger than I want them to, so be it. You know, maybe, maybe horses teach us that. Interesting. Okay. So tell me about this book. B is for bellies. I have it here. Um, Obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you can't see, but I'm holding it up. It's beautiful and (laughs) uh, it's awesome. And I want to hear what it's about, who it's for. Yeah. Um, I like to say that it is for children just as much as it is for the adult reading to them. Yeah. Be is for bellies is 26 little mantras about body acceptance from A to Z. And on the illustration side, because a picture book is, I like to think of it as it's half words and it's half pictures. Um, the goal was for every child to be represented on the page so that no matter what a child looks like, they're going to see themselves. We have limb differences in the book. Um, There's characters in there with vitiligo, all sorts of different races, gender expressions, sizes, shapes. Um, So that was the goal that everybody sees themselves on the page and that 
children hopefully learn something from these little mantras and enjoy them and enjoy the rhyme, but the same for adults. I mean, as I was writing it, I thought about all of the ageism in our society and how hard it is, frankly, to get older and to have your body change. And so the letter C, as readers will see in the book, it's it's certainly very, very kid-friendly, but this was my nod to adults for C. I wrote, C is for change, that's what bodies do. Years change your appearance, but you'll always be you. So I figured that could apply to a kid growing up, Uh a a child approaching puberty, and whoever the adult is reading, maybe struggling with, you know, the changes that come with getting older. Yeah. So I know you mentioned, I think you said it, it maybe is written on there somewhere that it's for ages eight and up. And that would obviously be assuming that the kid is reading it to themselves. But to me, this is exactly the kind of book you read to little kids before they can read. And like you mentioned, I I would do this too. And my niece and nephew do this too. Like Mm. it's the kind of thing that gets stuck in your head. It's the kind of thing that (laughs) it's like the minute you close it, they're going to want you to open back up to page one and start over. Like that is that goal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think the publisher um, put four to eight as the recommended age range. And I know that you know the ins and outs of publishing. I don't think anybody really heard me on this, but I remember saying like, can't we make it zero to eight? Like this is a real, like you read aloud to children from the time they're babies Uh and you show them bright pictures and like, why not start sooner? But I also don't think that the four to eight years old on the cover flap is a law. I think you can start as early as you want. Um, But no, a hundred percent, I agree with you that like the sooner, the better. Uh, to impart this joyful messaging about accepting your body. And really the most important thing I think is the bridge between if you accept your body, it's going to be that much easier as a child to accept other people's bodies and the way other people look, no matter how different it is from you. Yeah. So tell me, do, do you know the artist that you worked with? Is it somebody that you like knew beforehand? No, no. The way it works um, with picture books and traditional publishing typically is unless you're an author illustrator, as the writer, you sell your manuscript to a publisher and the publisher finds the illustrator. Oh, cool. And yeah. Yeah. So I, I would get emails with the illustrators that they wanted to audition and that sort Uh of thing. Um, And our illustrator, uh, Mia Sane, they show up everywhere. I was at Target with my kid and, and my daughter said, mommy, you see that bag there? We're in the, you know, the gift aisle. Uh, gift wrap. She said, that looks like your book. And I picked it up and sure enough, it says Mia Sane for Target. And oh my it God. was, I might've been a pride That's bag awesome. and it was, and it was just, you know, Mia's style. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, they designed a Kit Kat bar, I believe. So their work pops up everywhere. And, you know, as a picture book author, a lot of times a writer will struggle with the fact that you have a vision in your head of, of your characters in your book. And then the illustrator has a different take. I didn't have that with this. I, I wanted these little mantras to be illustrated in a way that readers young and old would enjoy. That's it. That that's all I cared about. So I didn't know what the style would be. Um, I had no, I had no vision for what it would look like, but I was thrilled with it when I got the first sketches. I'm, I'm thrilled with it now. Yeah. I think that Mia did exactly what we were aiming for in representing as many people as, as humanly possible. Yeah. I love that. Um, I love the art in the book and that is really interesting to hear about that process. I didn't know that it's sort of out um, of your hands. Yeah. Even famous authors, adult 
adult authors who want to make the transition and write a children's book are often quite surprised that they don't have control over right. that part. I mean, that's um, why some people become author illustrators, I suppose, but. Right, well, sure, yeah. Yeah, but I'm leaving that to the pros. Um, <laughs> I, I do words, not pictures. <laughs> <laughs> Can I read one of the my favorite pages? Is that okay? Please, I'd love that. Okay, let's pull it up here. So we've got G is for gender, a big part of you express yourself in a way that feels true. And this just goes right to my queer heart. Makes me so happy that that's in there. I love that. I mean, I know you have a lot of representation, especially in the imagery, but just to even include a topic like that in a book about body yeah. acceptance yeah. makes me feel like so warm and fuzzy and yeah. Uh, I think like uh, as a queer millennial, I'm just constantly like, what would my life have been like if these kinds of books existed back then? Right, right. No, I thank you. I'm I'm so happy to hear that. I feel the same way. And I thought that letter was super important because like, let's face it, adult book buyers for children are going to have all kinds of beliefs, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was really hoping, I knew from the jump that G was going to be for gender, uh -huh. but actually writing it, and then the illustrating it, like I said, was out of my hands, but I was eagerly, I was eager to see it because I thought, is there a way that we can do this? That's going to reach a wider section of the population than just honestly, the liberal folks who, who yeah. believe in this already. Um, so it was an interesting thread the needle because I want that message to be received by as many people as possible. Yeah. And so gender is a big part of you and yeah. you should express yourself, yourself in a way that feels true to you who could argue with that, I think. Yeah. And, um, and I think Mia did an, an incredible job of capturing it. Um, so I'm just so happy to introduce that concept yeah. really early. And I would say that that goes through uh, pretty much every page of the book that there, it feels to me like it is very subtly revolutionary but it never pushes so far that it would like alienate or make, you know, like a, a Fox watching mom, like put it down and say, we need to ban this book. Exactly. Like, it, I think it really does um, do a really great job of being somewhere in the middle, but pushing towards progress, not only because of the representation, although certainly that's there, mm -hmm. but also just with the little themes, like even, you know, like the, that your body changes, that bellies jiggle, like that gender is a thing. I mean, mm -hmm. each of these little things feel like kind of quiet revolutions. Right. Right. I remember when we were writing, it was either F is for food or H is for hungry. And I really wanted to tap into the idea of for, for preschool children, that food has no morality. Junk yeah. food's not bad. There is no junk food. Food is food. Yeah. And, you know, we tried, my editor and I tried all different ways and it just, it just wasn't quite landing and you can't, you can't lose the book buyer. There are a right. lot of people out there who think I'm doing healthy things for my children yep. by never giving them McDonald's or, you know, never doing junk food and we do all our, you know, so you're right. It, it's a balancing act to not yeah. alienate certain readers. And maybe those readers are the ones who need this message the most. Right. I'm now imagining like the more extreme version of this book being right, like right. <laughs> Jay's for junk food, which doesn't exist. It's a myth, like <laughs> right, the right. preachy version. Totally. I totally. I have an adult version that I wrote that I'm hoping we can, uh, you know, within the publishing house, yeah. like, do the adult version, like C is for cellulite and B is for bullshit about oh diet God, culture in general. <laughs> it's like, do. I did that on the side, yeah. you know, because we're telling the line for the children and for the book buyers. And I'm like, but actually B is for bullshit. Like, come on. <laughs> yes. H is for health at every size. Yeah. 
Um, okay. So wh- who are you most hoping this book reaches? I mean, I think you've talked about this a little bit, but like, what is your sort of hopes and dreams for the impact of the book? I would say reaching kids before diet culture reaches them would be the most incredible thing Mm. because it's, it just happens so young. So if these ideas are part of a way that a kid sees the world before somebody tells them that their thighs are fat at the pool or before somebody calls a little boy who dresses like a girl, I'm doing Mm -hmm. air quotes, weird if they have this messaging first, what could that change? I mean, there are very few picture books. It's picking up speed, but up until the last couple of years, there were very few picture books with this quiet revolution. I love how you said that. Um, So I'm sure for some progressive parents that exists within a household, but maybe we can plant these seeds in places that they wouldn't have grown otherwise. So the idea of reaching a child before our fat phobic society does is very exciting. Like maybe my seven-year-old wouldn't have thought jiggling was a horrible thing for a body to do. Had she read this book, it been, been read this book at three or four. Yeah. I love that. Anything I haven't asked you about yet that you want to say or talk about? Um, I guess I would just love to mention my other books in this space. Yeah. Um, the one I told you about, it was just announced, you know, how slow publishing yeah. is. Children's publishing is even slower because we have huh. to find the illustrator, make the oh, illustrations. Sure. You know, it's a hardcover book with a jacket, full color. Everything takes longer. Yeah. Um, so I think we're slated for spring 2025, but that book is called, for now, you know, titles are a, yeah. lots of cooks in the kitchen decision as well. Uh, It's called Penelope and the Peculiar Praise. And it's about a cat who goes through her day achieving all these great things. And no matter what she does, everybody just wants to comment on her appearance. Oh my God, I love it. About how cute she is and how beautiful she is. And she's like, I am waking you up with the sun to get started on your day. I'm catching a mouse in the apartment hallway (laughs) for the neighbor. And everybody's calling me gorgeous and lovely. Like, don't you see what I'm doing? And I, I guess I won't spoil it, but I'll just say by the end of the book, the child in the family is the one to point out all of Penelope's fantastic oh qualities for the adults in the world, in, in that household. Oh, I um, love that so much. So it's great. It feels like a continuation of this book yeah. because this book is about bodies, but now I want to move on to the way you look is the least interesting yes. thing about you. Love. Um, That's and then great. The, thank you. And then the other book is... Um, it's middle grade fiction. So older kids into teenage years called Good Boy Eddie. And it's told from the perspective of a lesson horse who teaches people how to ride. So it's his perspective, but he hears all the dialogue. So it's concurrently a story about a rider who, like too many girls in the sport, uh, is judged for the way she looks. Mm. She's not the skinny ideal. And so she works through her body image issues while the horse works through being a lesson horse in a show horse barn where everybody's mm, very fancy and athletic yeah. and sleek and he's kind of shaggy and older and you know plods along oh and teaches gosh. children how to ride so so it's their journey together um but i think it's just another way for kids to see themselves in a horse book in a way that horse books haven't done before oh 
It makes me so happy that these books are out there. Oh, I told you. my, um, well, I asked my agent at one point when she was like, you know, if you want to start thinking about a second book, I was like, can I just hear how fiction works real quick? And she basically <laughs> said like, the process is completely different, which I didn't mm -hmm. know. Yeah. Um, and also that she was like, I would be, I would have an easier time basically doing my job if your book somehow had a parallel to this first nonfiction yeah, book. Yeah. Um, do you think that you could do that? And I was like, um, I literally couldn't not do that. Like right, right. there is no world in which I could not let these themes that I am obsessed about. It's the calling. Go right? into, yeah, go into right. the fiction. Like, so yeah, I was like, that actually would be a really fun yeah. project at some point, but who knows? Yeah, yeah. I love that. I'm, I'm happy to help when you get there because I think you would be a great novelist. I love your book. Oh, thank you. Yeah. All right. Uh, Rennie, tell people where they can find you and your book. And yeah. yeah. Bees for Bellies is on sale July 11th, which will be today when this comes uh -huh. out. Uh, everywhere books are sold. And you can find out more about me at uh, www.renniedieball.com. Awesome. And it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on here. So thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you so, so nice much for the book. Yeah. Now I want to look up your other books. <laughs> um, and yeah, I just think the work you're doing is so exciting and cool and so good for the world. So thank, thank you. you. And right back here. at you. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, everyone, uh, that is our episode for today. If you love this podcast, you're going to love my new book, Body Neutral, A Revolutionary Guide to Overcoming Body Image Issues. You can find it anywhere that you buy books, ebooks, or audiobooks. And after you read it, I would really appreciate it if you took a minute to leave a rating and a review or to post and share about it with others to help more people discover it. Also, I love to hear from you. So feel free to find me on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, or YouTube at Jesse Neeland. Uh, you can share your thoughts on this episode, send me a guest or topic suggestion, or just say hi. Thank you so much for listening to This Is Not About Your Body, and I will catch you next week. <laughs>